There was a story of an American businessman, and he got to go on a trip, and he went over to Switzerland. And as he was touring around in different places, you know one of the things that the Swiss do is they make clocks. And he wanted to this one shop, and the man was in there working. He was working on a cuckoo clock, a very elaborate cuckoo clock, and he was hand-carving the, the clock and all the details that were in it. And he sat there, and he watched them for five minutes. He watched them for ten minutes. He watched them for 15 minutes. He was just mesmerized at the detail this guy was putting into this cuckoo clock. 15 minutes, 20 minutes passed, and he's watching what this guy's doing. And after, after about a half hour of watching what he was doing, he said to him, he says, he says you're not going to make much money when it takes you that long to make a cuckoo clock. Because he said in 30 minutes, he'd barely done anything on the thing. Just, you know, carefully carving, carefully going. And he says, I'm not here to make money. I'm here to make cuckoo clocks. You know, sometimes when we're in in a thing, we forget what we're there for. And we focus on doing something else. This man knew he wasn't there to make money. He was there to make cuckoo clocks. And you think, well, he's in business. He's supposed to be making money, right? Some time ago when we first started this series, we went over what submission was not. Submission is not deaf. We said... It is not drama, it is not easy, it is not agreement, and it is not forced. There is no drama involved. If you come out of a a situation, you're in submission to to one, you come out from there, no one should know if you had a disagreement, if you were not in agreement with with what was there, what was going on there. We use Jesus as the example. When Jesus was in the garden, he prayed, and he said, not my will, but your will, and no one knows what his will was, do we? He didn't come out telling everybody what his will was came out doing what God's will was. It's not easy. If what you are doing in the area of submission is easy, you're probably not doing it. Because submission is not easy. It's not agreement. See, agreement is easy to walk in. If I agree with someone, it's really easy to walk in submission, but I'm not really walking in submission. I'm walking in agreement. Now, submission doesn't occur over everything that you deal with. It really only occurs in those areas where you have disagreement on And submission is not forced. You may wish that God would just force us to do his will, but God does not force us to do his will, nor do we force other people to do the will of God. It's not forced. If there's no suffering, there is no suffering if you always do what you agree with. And we saw that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. There's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some times that you are in a place of submission and it's going to hurt it's going to it's not going to be easy because of what they're doing you don't agree with you don't like you don't see it that way but that's all right you keep on going you're in you're in submission that area we're not just all submitted to god we're also submitted one another and there's different things that that go on in those areas but anyway let's go over to matthew chapter 4 and verse 18 we want to take a look at peter we're going to see some things about peter peter grew he progressed in his area of submission he had some ups, he had some downs. We're going to take a look at some of the things that went on with him. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Pretty nice story. Would you imagine if, if people came up to you and said, Hey, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You drop your business, and you just go. In um, Luke chapter 5, so it was 
as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down, taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. At your word, I will let down the net. That's submission, isn't it? Is he in agreement? No, he doesn't. I don't think this is going to work. Now, I read this. We're reading uh, in our, hopefully all of you are reading along in the New Testament with us. I told you before, I'm reading along in the New Living Translation and checking that one out because some of the people I like to listen to have been talking about it and saying they like it. I'm not sure what they see in it. I'm not enjoying it as much. I finally gave up on just giving, watching, reading it by itself. I have the New King James right next to it because as soon as they get into something, that's not what it said. I'm going to go check my New King James and see what it actually said. And sometimes, I, all right, I can see that in there. And sometimes I'm saying, no, you guys missed this one. So, and I, I, some of these folks are, are big on Greek too. I'm not quite sure what they see in this translation. But if you do have the New Living Translation, there are some nice things in it. But just be careful. It doesn't get a lot of stuff right. There's, a, there's some things in there that got wrong. This is one passage. If you read this in the New Living Translation, you will not get the meaning from it. Because it does not say that Jesus said, let down your nets for a catch. It said, Jesus said, let down your... Well, actually, he said nets. But when Peter said, I'll let down the net, he said nets in the New Living. That's not what the Greek says. Greek is very explicit on this. Jesus said, let down your nets, plural. Peter said, I'll let down the net, and we, when we spent time on this, you remember, we spent some time on this. We talked about that net. You know, like you, you have, uh, how many of you have more than one serving spoon in your house? We've, we've, we've uh, compiled a few of them, haven't we? How many of you have ones that are your favorite? How many of you have ones that if you are going to do something that you don't really care if the, the, the spoon got damaged on, you use that one? Because if it gets hurt, if it gets broke, it's no big deal. But then we have other ones we won't use that way. Well, the same thing with the nets. When you first get into business, you buy one net. You get whatever net you can afford. Then as you start to grow that business, you get out and you buy another net. And then you buy another net. Pretty soon you have nets. But I'm sure, just in the it is today, you know, you can go out and you can buy a car or you can buy a car. Right? <laughs> not all cars are created equal. Well, not all nets are created equal either. And so they probably had some low tech nets. Maybe it was the oldest net, whatever it was. They took the net, which is probably the one they cared about the least, and they're going to dip it back into the salt water because salt water will corrode anything. It is a nasty substance. It is just, it'll, it'll eat up all kinds of stuff. If you don't believe this, how many remember the BP oil spill that was going to devastate Florida? And where, where did that oil go? I mean, we heard about it for months, weeks anyway. It, it's it's going to come, it's going to hit the shore, it's going to do this, and did it ever show up? You know why? The sea ate it up. 
epoxy ate it up before it made it to its way to the surface. It just, it just does that. It dissolves metal. It dissolves all kinds of, of things out there. You put it out there in that, in that sea, and if you don't have some kind of protection, it's going to eat it up. It's a powerful substance. And it would do that to the nets too. So they took probably the weakest net, the oldest net, and they threw that in. Now Jesus didn't tell them to throw in the net. He told them to throw in the nets for a catch. They threw in one net to catch the catch of nets. And uh, they got quite a bit. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Now, Jesus knows how much the net can hold. But it's not his fault. They didn't use all that they had available to him. And beside that, when Jesus pours out an abundance, folks, you better be ready to hold it. But at his word, he, was, he probably was not in agreement. There's probably other people in there who says, you, you're not really listening to this guy, are you? I mean, he's a, he's, a, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher. What does he know about fishing? And we've been out there all night long. All night long. And you're going to now take the nets we just finished cleaning off to, to throw them back in? Come on, Peter. Now he says, we're, we're going to go ahead and do it. And so they did it. And uh, verse 11 says, So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So we get a little bit more of the story of what went on when they forsook all and they followed him. That's quite a miracle. That is quite a thing to, to go on. But it happened because they listened and they did the thing. See, submission is not always easy. But we're looking at Peter as he's growing in this area of submission. When he first got started here, this is quite a lesson. This is, this is quite a place to start. Now, if he, he could have just not walked in submission and he wouldn't have had the blessing. He wouldn't have probably followed after Jesus. He wouldn't have learned all the things that he had, all that ministry he wouldn't have been a part of. Would Peter's life have been significantly different? But he listened. In John chapter 6, Verse 67, then Jesus said to the twelve, this is after he had taught about eat my body and drink my blood and all that sort of stuff. He says, do you also want to go away? Because all the multitudes had left him. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered them, do I, did I not choose you, the twelve, the twelve? And one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simeon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. In Matthew 19, we see another part of their calling here. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Because Jesus had just talked about some uh, blessings on those who would leave, uh, fathers and mothers and so forth. Therefore, what shall we have? Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So they had a calling. Jesus called them. They left all. Later on in their ministry, we find that again. We left all to follow you. What's gonna, what are we going to have as a result of that? In Luke chapter 8, Verse 43, they also got to, Peter also got to be a part of Jesus when he was ministering. 
Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not heal, be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. Immediately her, blood, her flow of blood stopped and Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it. Now look at these words. Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you and you say, Who touched me? Now is Peter submitted to Jesus? How many times have you been submitted to someone, someone you're supposed to be in submission to, and they do something like this, and you think, man, that's silly. Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? Now, it says Peter and those who are with him. There may be other people saying it too, but apparently Peter was the focal of attention. He usually is. He's usually the loud one. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceived power going out from me so they heard what jesus said in such a way that people were just touching him but jesus said no someone touched me and healing power went out but peter does not understand this now if you're we're looking at his growth in the area of submission is he how, how's peter doing in submission in this in this question I'm, how many of you would give him a c grade <laughs> maybe a d <laughs> Yeah, we're not giving him an A grade for this, are we? So we see that Peter, after he did, I mean, with the, the part with the net was great, wasn't it? That's fantastic. It's a great start. But now we get back over here. We're going to see Peter has some ups and downs. He has some things that he does that are spectacular and then some areas where he doesn't do very well at all. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 28, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. When you saw Jesus walking on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come out of the boat, he walked on the water to Jesus. Now, is that a person in submission? <laughs> Lord, if you say, come, I can come and walk on the water. If it's you, you say, come. You say, if it's you, I'm submitted to you. And if you say, come, I will come to you walking on the water. And Jesus said, he said, well, Peter, why do you need to do that? He didn't do that, did he? He just said, come. Peter had, so he said, come. And Peter, when he come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Well, he was the first, as long as he was in submission to Jesus, he's walking on the water. But then other voices began to come up around him. The voice of the wind the voice of the waves, and they began to speak to him. He began to hear some things. How many of you are hearing some things from your troubles? From the things that go on around? They're speaking to you. He began to hear some of those things, and his submission went from submitted to God to being submitted to them. And his walking on water ended. And he began to sink. I still, when we get up in heaven, I want to I want a flashback. I said, Father God, let me let me see the videotape. Roll the tape. Because I want to see this. I mean, does, does Peter just slowly begin to sink into the water? Because <laughs> it says he began to sink. It didn't say that he just went under. That he began to sink. So I, I, I want to go back to the videotape on that. And, you know, can we have the replay? Can, can we do it in slow motion? You know, the, the, the slow motion thing. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? 
Now, when we fall into doubt, technically, we are in faith in something else. When I walk in faith with God, I am technically in doubt to other things. When I walk in faith to God, when Peter was walking in faith to God and he stepped out of the boat, he was in faith that what Jesus said would work and he was in doubt that the water wouldn't hold him up. Isn't that right? But when he began to listen to the waves and he began to listen to the, or watch the, uh, the wind and the waves, suddenly he was doubting that he could walk on the water and having faith in the fact that he should sink. And that's what happened. So he did real good on this, but then he also did not so good. And what's Jesus focus on here? Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Now get this. Did he just become someone of little faith? Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? What he's telling them here is not that, oh, you puny little faith person. He's telling him, with a little bit of faith, Peter walked on water. Isn't that right? And while he was walking on, faith, on water with that little bit of faith, he began to doubt. <laughs> little bit of faith got him to walk on water. All right, if a little bit of faith got Peter to walk on water, where are we? <laughs> oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, do you think Jesus wants to hear about the wind and the waves? Can you talk to Jesus about the wind and the waves when the wind and the waves are affecting him as much as they are you? It's not going to affect him. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? You see, when you start to have faith in the forces against you and doubt the force that is with you, you are actually changing your submission. So Peter did good and bad in the same story. Mark chapter 5. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue and house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. Only believe. Two things from here. One, is it important that Jesus get into this guy's mind? Do not doubt. Do not be afraid. Only believe. And it's important, so important, that the writer made sure he included it. So it was important for us to know because not only did Jesus do it right away, he made sure that we knew it was done right away. When you get a bad report from the doctor, what happens right away? Doesn't fear try and get a hold of you? Right, I mean, it doesn't wait until tomorrow, does it? When you get a bad report, when you get something that comes in that says something contrary to what you're believing for, how long does it take fear to get a hold of you? Doesn't take long at all, does it? it? I mean, it comes right in there. And that's why you've got to hit it just as hard and just as immediate. Don't let it, don't let it wait. Immediately, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, he is not speaking to anyone else. He's only speaking to this guy. Do not be afraid, only believe. He doesn't care what other, anybody else does. What other people does, do around you, whatever fear they get into, whatever doubt they get into, folks, it does not have to come near you. The only one that Jesus has to keep on, on this page here is this guy. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and he saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. 
When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them out outside, he took the father and the mother and the child and those who were with him. Who was with him? Peter, James, and John are with him. And entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl rose and walked, for she was twelve years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given to her to eat. Now, would you say that Peter, James, and John had progressed in their walk that Jesus felt that in this room they would be of benefit? This is the same guy who walked on water and sank on the water. He's got some benefit. The enemy may try and come into you and try and tell you these things until you get 100% completely submitted Till there's no problem in that area, I can do anything I want to you. That apparently isn't true, is it? Look at what Peter's doing. All right, let's take a look at some of the things they learned. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 15, Peter is, is asking, he says, explain this parable to us. Now look at the words that Jesus says to him in verse 16. So Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Now, that statement from Jesus, would that tell you that Jesus expected them to understand this? When they're not understanding this, what would, you, what would that tell you about their submission? Tell you this about their life anyway. They are not where they should be. We saw this also in Paul's writing. Paul wrote to the church and he said, I would to give you meat, but you still need milk. He expected them to be at a certain place and they weren't there. Now, this isn't the only place we see this. How many times did Jesus find his disciples at a place when he expected them to be someplace different? I think it was Mark chapter 9 when he comes down from the transfiguration and they can't cast the devil out of the, the boy. What were Jesus' words? Oh, faithless generation, how long will I be with you? Bring him here to me. Didn't he expect that they would have taken care of that? And they didn't. But is Jesus still willing to work with them? Did they still go off from here and have authority over demons? Yeah, they had trouble with that one, but they still had other ones that they, they were able to deal with. In uh, Matthew 16, verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked for the disciples saying, Why do, who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I am? He's first all asking them, he says, all right, you guys are in contact. You know, people probably don't talk with me. They probably talk with you. So when you are talking with folks, who are they saying that I am? When you're back there in the crowds and you're taking up the offering or seating people in the places or, or you know, helping the crowd to dismiss, what are people saying? Who are they saying that I am, the Son of Man am? So they said, well, some, you know, they're coming out of the meetings and they're saying that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets, one of the other prophets. He said to them, okay, but who do you say that I am? All right, now we're getting, we've gotten past who the crowd says. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He's already said this before. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
Now, does this sound like that he is disappointed with the growth of Peter? Sounds like he's, he's doing pretty, pretty well, right? Matthew 16, keep that in mind. Verse 20. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and, sac- and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. So he said this not once, but a number of times. He began to show them things. Since they had this revelation, he then began to show them these things. Then Peter, after he heard this for a little while, it's not the first time he heard it, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that this should happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things uh, things of God, but the things of men. Now, what grade would you give Peter in the area of submission here in this story? How many of you are more prone to go over in the F and the D range? (laughs) Total failure. I mean, if you get rebuked by Jesus and say, get behind me, Satan, I think we can pretty much determine you have lost this round. This just did not work too well. But look at what he did. He heard Jesus say he loves Jesus. He has great care, great concern for Jesus. He, he's sold out for his ministry. He has sold all his stuff. And that's what didn't sell us, but he's left all his stuff, all his family, to follow after Jesus and to help him in the area of ministry. We have some ups and downs. We see that sometimes Jesus has some good words for him and sometimes Jesus has some harsh words for him. But he's still staying. He's still going along. And then we come to this and he's hearing Jesus say all these things and it's just not jiving with him. I, I, I don't like this. This isn't the way we're supposed to go. Jesus is supposed to be, he's supposed to come in and usher in his kingdom. You see, they don't know about the break between the, in the prophecy, that there was a break between the first half of Jeremiah's prophecy and the second half. They didn't, uh, they didn't understand that. Jesus was going to tell them about, about that. When he was reading it, he was, I'm sorry, Isaiah's prophecy. When he was reading Isaiah's prophecy, he only read half of it and then he closed the book because that's the first half he was going to do. The second half he would fulfill when he came back in the second advent. But Peter pulls him aside. Now think about this. You're in submission. You just confessed that you believe him to be the Son of God. The Son of God. You just confessed you believe him to be the Messiah sent from God to do all the things that Messiah is supposed to do. And then after hearing this, you feel like you can be in a place to correct Jesus. Is that not amazing? So we look at the, the, the part before, and apparently Peter and the rest of them were doing pretty well because Jesus began to alter his teaching in line with their greater revelation. So they must have been operating, walking pretty well. But then he says this. You see how Peter's going back and forth? Sometimes, folks, just be, we don't just grow in submission and just suddenly become better and better and better and better and better. We have some ups and downs. We have some times when we've been going pretty good and all of a sudden we bottom out. But then we can recover. And then we're going along and then we may bottom out again. But we can recover. Just because you feel like you bottomed out doesn't mean, folks, you can't recover. You can go back. You can, all right, well, I messed up on there. I, I need to walk back into submission to the things that I know. And just know it's okay. Peter, one of the ones that Jesus relied on the most, brought into the room with the girl he's going to raise 
from the dead. Cast everybody, kicked everybody else out. Except for mom and dad and the people that were with him. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Now, he's saying this out of love and concern for him. But can you, can you see how love and concern was used against him to pull him out of submission? That the devil, because of his love and concern for Jesus, was able to use it to get him to speak his will and his purpose. Isn't that amazing? He turned to Peter and he said what? Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. If you said this to one of your close friends, how many of you would have one less close friend? (laughs) Peter stuck around though, didn't he? (laughs) I guess his words were right. Where else shall we go? You have the words of life. Matthew 17, verse 24. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher pay the temple tax? He said, Yes. I can just picture this. We never talked about that. Of course he does. (laughs) And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, "From, From strangers. Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. When you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Now, Peter was in business of fish, but how did he catch fish? With nets. When you go in with a net, you're not looking for one. If you throw the nets in and you pull out one fish, folks, that's a, that did not work out. That's not how it's supposed to work. When you throw that net in, it's like supposed to be like Nemo. You know, you throw the net in, you get all those fish in there. That's how it's supposed to be. If you're in business for yourself, you don't throw a hook to catch a fish. You're going to be fishing for a long time. If you're a hobbyist, if your guy just does it for fun, then, you know, you go out there and you grab your hook, grab your reel, throw it on in there, have yourself a fun for the day. You bring home two or three fish, you're happy. He's not going to be happy with that. But maybe when he first started in the area of fishing when he was little, maybe he did just start off with a hook. And so he knows a little bit about it. But I'll bet you in all the times that he put a hook in when he was younger, he never once caught a fish with a coin in it. How many of you all like to go fishing? Anybody here like to go fishing? All right. Anybody here caught a fish with a coin in the mouth not in the not in the stomach jesus didn't say you'll you'll find it in the, he said in the mouth most fish when they get something in the mouth either swallow it or if they can't swallow it they spit it out and it's amazing what fish can fit in their mouth i'll tell you what I, my mom remember when i was growing up i had two oscars anybody know what an oscar is oscar is a neat looking fish they have personality they're big fish, but you know when they're little, you, you can feed them little tiny crumbled up pieces of food. I mean, when they are little, you can do that. When they get bigger, you, they, don't, they do not want stuff. They want, they want live food. And so we go to the, the store and we buy these goldfish. And you throw the goldfish in and Oscar would come up to the goldfish and goldfish would be swimming. They just open their mouth up and the suction would just pull that fish right in and they just suck it right on in there. Well, one of the other things, you know, I was in high school and junior high when I had these things and you didn't, have, I didn't always have the money to go out and buy the 
the fish, so trying to save money, we would go down to the creek. My buddy and I, we'd go down to the creek. He didn't have Oscars. I did. But he would help me. We'd catch these crawdads, crayfish, however you call them. And we'd catch those things down at the creek, and we'd bring them on home. And we'd put them into the tank, and we'd just sit there and watch the Oscar eat those things. Because the crayfish get up there, you ever see the claws, you know, and the Oscar be coming up, and the crayfish be ready to, to, to do some kind of damage to it. And the Oscar just look at it, open up his mouth, and suck that whole thing in. Claws, everything, and just, it's gone. I mean, it's amazing what these fish could get into their mouth. And they have an appetite. We had a guy who, uh, when I worked at the fish store, he had two full-grown Oscars, two full-grown Oscars, came in every single day on his way home for work and bought 36 goldfish to feed them. That's one day's meal for two Oscars. They are not the biggest eaters out there either. There's some other ones, but uh, you don't need all those stories. Just understand, when fish, either they get something in their mouth, they either swallow it or they spit it out. They don't keep it in the mouth. And if a coin is in the mouth, why are they biting onto a hook? If you've already got a coin stuck in your mouth, why are you biting onto another piece of metal? So you could ask, Peter could be asking all these questions. I've never caught a fish with a coin in its mouth. Why would a fish have a coin in its mouth? Why would a fish with a coin in its mouth bite the hook? Why am I using a hook? He could be asking all these questions, but he doesn't. So he goes on down, he throws the line in, catches a fish. Jesus said, the first one that you catch. Now, I don't know if that meant he stayed there and caught a second and third. But maybe when he threw that in, that, the, the fish were really biting. And, you know, one cast in there and that thing, phew, pulled that right on out. Maybe he was pretty impressed and maybe he stayed there for a little bit more. But he said, the first fish that you get, he's going to have that money in it. He, got, he went on down and he did it. Is that submission? Is it agreement? There's no way he's agreeing with this. He's a fisherman. Fish don't keep coins in their mouth. He's caught many a fish. He's caught boatloads of fish and probably not a single one has had a coin in the mouth. They clean them out. You know when they, they cut the heads off, they gut them, they do all that sort of stuff to, to the fish to make them ready. And... Um, None of them have coins in their mouth. He just goes on down there and does it. That is submission right there. He's doing great. He doesn't seem to question. doesn't ask you, Jesus, are you sure? <laughs> doesn't do any of that. Last week we looked at Matthew 18. And Peter asked the question, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven times? We spent some time on that. So he's, uh, he's trying to be impressive here. And, of course, Jesus wasn't impressed with seven times. What did Jesus say? Seven. Ah, come on, 70 times seven. Come on, let's, let's, let's up this a, little, a bit here. In Luke 22, verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city... Now, if you're asking this question, where do you want us to prepare the Passover? How many of you are expecting Jesus to say, look, here's a check. Go in there, ask around, find a place that you can rent that's big enough for all of us guys. And, um, and then, you know, see what you can find for the food. Maybe there's a place in there that already has it all made up for us. He doesn't do any of that. He says, behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. 
Now think of this back in Peter's day. How many men are carrying around pitchers of water? It's probably not everybody, but it's probably not just a few. A man is going to be carrying a pitcher of water. We don't have running water in the houses. If you want water, you have to go get it. Follow him into the house, which he enters. So you see a man carrying a pitcher of water, follow him. Didn't say to say anything to him yet. Just follow him into the house when he enters. So they get into the city. You've got to understand. <laughs> if you are Peter, go into the city. If we just told you right now, go into Philadelphia. And when you see a man with a red shirt, follow him into the house that he goes into. Uh, a red shirt. What are the, what are the Phillies colors? <laughs> what are the Sixers colors? Right? They could have a Sixers shirt on. They could have a Phillies shirt on. There's all kinds of people that could have a red shirt on. May even have a Kansas City fan in the, in the area. You could have red shirts all over the place. A, a red shirt? Really? Carrying a pitcher of water. When you find him, don't, he didn't say go ask him anything. He says follow him into the house. Now you man with, man with the pitcher of water. You're walking, all of a sudden you notice somebody's right behind me following me. Why are they, why are they following me? I'm going to go down this way. You go down this way and they're still following you. Why are they following me? I'm going to duck into my house. I'm going to close that door. I'm not going to let these creeps in here. (laughs) You might be thinking, at least if you rationalize yourself, we start following somebody. Most people don't like to be followed. Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where where she enters. So he's going to say, just, hi, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? We're going to follow you to your house. Okay. Then you shall say that the master of the house. So apparently the man who's carrying the pitcher is not the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? I don't know if I'm you, I'm, if I'm the guy who owns the house. What teacher? We mean the teacher. Maybe that clued him in that it was Jesus. Maybe the part that he had disciples. Then he will show you a large furnished upper room there make ready. So he's going to take you in the room. You don't have to get any furniture in it. It's all ready for it. It's got all the furniture, all the stuff in it that we want. And it's there. And these folks in this day, upper room folks, they rented upper rooms. You notice it in the book of Acts. Some places that had upper rooms, this is the place that you would rent out. It's kind of like, you know, if you had a ballroom today that you would go to a hotel, if they have a ballroom for you to rent out, it's usually on the ground floor. But here in this, in this town, in this day and age, if you had a place to rent out for meetings, for uh, people to come over and have meals and stuff, you want to rent a place out, this is where it was. It's on the second floor. It's up above there, upper room. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, is that submission to follow these instructions? Man, that's got to be. Because we've never seen anything like this happen before. I can't even understand anything like this. How do you know out here what's going on in there? And how do you know who I'm going to meet when I get in there? That's just crazy. Hmm. But that's what they did. And they went along. So we give them a pretty good grade for submission there, right? Then we come to John 13. And they're washing the feet. Jesus is going around, he's washing disciples' feet. He comes to Simon Peter, and Peter says, Lord, I submit, wash my feet. No. <laughs> What's he say? No. He said, Lord, are you washing my feet? 
And he says to him, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Oh, well, don't just wash my feet, then come on. <laughs> so his, uh, his area of submission, well, I, I can be submitted, but I can't let you do certain things for me. But apparently, he had to get past that. Matthew 17, verse 1. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led him up on the high mountain by themselves. Well, just going back to the washing of the feet. Under, look at this. Remember Jesus was saying you need to understand these things? I was teaching the parables. When Jesus is doing this with the washing of the feet, remember at the end, he says, do you all understand what I've done for you? What did they all say? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah, we got this down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right, sure. Peter says to him, first, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, I have to wash your feet. You have no part with me. Oh, then wash my hands and my head. And my, you know. and no, no, no. I just need to. Peter has no clue what's going on here. Can we, can we come to that realization? There's no clue what's going on here. But at the end, oh, yeah, we got it. Yeah, we know exactly what you mean. We're, we're there with you. I was there before they were. I don't know where John was on this thing, but, you know, me, I, was, I, I understood totally. Now, after, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if you wish. Let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. Then Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them and saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. So we gave these three a personal word about their rising from the dead. But again, he doesn't know what to say here. Is he operating in submission by saying, hey, let's build three tabernacles? No, because he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what the will of Jesus is or the will of the Father here. And finally, the Father comes in and cuts him off and says, hey, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. In other words, shut up. In Luke chapter 9, it gets us another uh, aspect of this. Now, it came about to pass after eight days, after these things, that he took Peter, James, and John, went up to the mountain to pray. He prayed, and the appearance of his face was altered. His robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him, which were James and John, were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him, then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus. So here we get a little more detail in this. What actually happened was the transfiguration is going on. Jesus brings them up to this mountain. This is what's going to happen. And they fall asleep. And while they are sleeping, Moses and Elijah show up and they have this conversation with Jesus. And while they are sleeping, Jesus has been transfigured. He's glowing, and Moses and Elijah are there with him. And then somehow they wake up, and they see this glowing. Well, that'll wake you up pretty fast, right? But it still said, and when they were fully awake, so it took a little time to go from sleep 
too fully awake. How many of y'all can relate to that? Takes you a little bit of time to go from sleep to fully awake. You know, if you, if you heard the smoke alarm go off in your house, would it take you a long time to go from asleep to fully awake? They saw Jesus glowing. That's got to have some pulling power. They saw Moses and Elijah, apparently. And after he sees them, and they're, they're, the two are starting to go, that's when he says this. Master, it's good for us to be here. Oh, yeah, really? It's so good for us, we've been asleep most of the time. But we're glad we're here now. We caught the tail end of this. Matthew 26, verse 31. Then Jesus said to him, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So Jesus gives a general word to everybody. All, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. Are they in submission to Jesus? Supposed to be. Doesn't mean that they're always going to agree with Jesus. Doesn't mean they always have to agree. Jesus says to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, it's prophesied in the Bible. About these guys. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So he says it on two authorities. His own and he, he quotes the scripture. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. All right, even this guy John next to me. There's a lot of competition between him and John. You, if you if we just finished reading the Gospels, how many of you picked up? There's a lot of competition between John and Peter. They are really going at it sometimes, but the, the, there, there's some stuff going on there. But even of all, he may be looking specifically at John. So he, I know, I know you. you. You drop out in a minute. Even if all were made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Is he not asserting his words over Jesus? Is that submission? Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. All right, we're, we're done with the general words. I gave the general word to all of you. I can give you a specific one for each one of you. Now, Peter, you're the one who spoke up, so here's your specific word. Before the night is over, before the rooster crows three to, uh, two times, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Jesus says, I don't need to make my point. <laughs> I'm okay. And Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. They said to the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And they began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you will. Then he came to his disciples and found them what? asleep when was the last time he took peter james and john away with him the man of transfiguration what did they do at the man of transfiguration they fell asleep what did they miss they missed almost completely missed the transfiguration they saw the end of it <laughs> so he calls you again you you three come on with me oh remember what happened last time <laughs> man Let's make sure we don't fall asleep this time, right? Let's, let's, let's get in there. And they fall asleep. So Jesus comes to them. 
He's all happy about it. Oh, man, you guys are getting some rest. Good, you're going to need that. He says to them, verse 40, What, could you not watch with me for one hour? Is he expecting something from them? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, the second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples, said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is, going, is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. Well, they were supposed to get in there and pray so they wouldn't enter into temptation. And uh, they entered into temptation. Matthew 26, 69. Now Peter said, sat outside in the court, in the courtyard. And a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. And he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out of the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. So we, we know the story. He went on through. He denied on three times. At the end of the third time, the rooster crowed for the second time. And he was sad and he went away. Was he submitted to God? He's up and down on this thing, but you know, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and die with you. And then he doesn't. John 21. I think this is our last one. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to him, I am going fishing. I left all that stuff before, but now that Jesus is gone and he's died, reports have already come in that they've seen him. They said to him, we are going with you also. So the rest of the guys... They said, hey, we're going to go. We're going to go fishing with you. They went out and immediately got into the boat. They might, that night, and they caught how much? Nothing. Now, that by itself is probably not a surprise. They probably had it before that they have caught nothing when they've gone out fishing. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Doesn't this sound like something that happened before? Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now John's writing this. It is the Lord. John is basically telling you this. I was the first one to recognize that it was the Lord. <laughs> That was me. Everybody else is not quite sure. I'm the one who said, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard, in other words, when I enlightened him, (laughs) right? Is that what he's saying? When I enlightened Peter as to who was on the shore, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. Now, you might just think this is John just writing some stuff, but if you are going to jump into the water... What do you usually wear? A swimsuit, which a swimsuit is designed to not be loose, to be tighter fitting, because loose clothes don't work real well in the water, right? So Peter puts on the loose clothes and jumps in the water. 
He had on tighter fitting clothes when they're working on the nets and all that sort of stuff because you don't want the loose clothes to get caught up when you're pulling all that stuff. He puts on the looser fitting clothes and jumps in the water. How many of you would put a coat on before you jumped in the water to swim to shore? I don't know if I'm saying it's a coat, but it's, it's... John's basically saying, man, Peter is just messed up. I don't know what's wrong with this guy. And he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat. We were smarter. I mean, Peter's in there flailing away in the, in the water, trying to get in the boat. We bring the boat and all the fish. I don't know what's up with that guy. He's just, he's just lost it. For they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. How did Jesus get the fish? Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153 large fish. And although there was so many, the net was not broken. Now, a couple of reasons for this. One, they could be using the good net this time instead of the bad net. And two, <laughs> Jesus probably didn't want it to break. I don't know what it was. And uh, that thing just wasn't, wasn't breaking. He said, come on over here, eat some breakfast. And, and the, the story goes on. But you see, they wanted, let's go, let's go back. Let's go back to fishing. Jesus is gone. Jesus told them, I'm going to rise on the third day. But they all decided, let's go back. How is his submission level? He's already spent three plus years with Jesus. And his submission level is still up and down. Up and down. Up and down. And yet, look at what Jesus was willing to do for him in the boat. Cast your net on the other side for a large catch. Has the enemy told you that God would not bless you until you get all these things right in your life? Has the enemy told you that you have no authority until you get everything right in your life? If that was so, wouldn't Peter have had more struggles than Peter did? How is it that Peter had some victories in his life? How is it that Peter walked on water, caught all those fish, cast out demons, healed some sick people, went into the room with Jesus to raise the, the girl from the dead because Jesus said he, he, he has some benefit to me. He, he's going to be helpful for me. We go on in this story. You're going to see that he pulls Peter aside by himself. He says to Peter, he says, Simon Peter, do you love me? You know that discourse? And he says, if you love me, you know, um, uh, feed my lambs. Simon Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. He says, tend my sheep. Simon Peter, do you love me? He says to him, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says to him, feed my sheep. Three different things he says at the end, but one thing he says in the, in the beginning. And if you, uh, I've heard people teach on this thing and they missed what the Greek says. Y'all remember, we'll just give it to you real quick. Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I Phileo you. Peter says to him again, or Jesus says to him again, Peter, do you agape me? He says, Lord, you know all things. I mean, you knew I was going to betray you. You knew all things. You know that I phileo you. The third time, Peter says, or Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said the third time, do you love me? And some people try and tie that in with the three times he betrayed Jesus. That's wrong. 
Jesus does not remind you of your past mistakes like that. And there's no purpose for that. He was grieved because the third time, Jesus doesn't say, Peter, do you love me? He says, Peter, do you phileo me? And he was grieved the third time because Jesus had come down to his level and said, Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I have a great brotherly affection for you, that I phileo you. And he says to him, feed my sheep. Each time Jesus asked him that question, he gave him something to do. And just because we have not quite come to the level that God wants us to be at in our walk does not mean that we are useless to God. We are useful right where we are. Peter was useful the day he got off that boat and he followed Jesus. And God found, Jesus found him useful throughout the three and a half years of ministry. And here at the end, even after he had gone back to fishing, he pulled him back in. He says, Peter, I got some work for you. Wherever you are in your walk with God, God can use you. The more submitted you are, the more there is available for him to use. But he will still use you right where you are. You still want to keep, keep going. I put this in your outline for you. Progression may not always be up, but it can at least be forward. We may not always be getting better and better, but we can at least move forward. Learn from your mistakes. Learn from the things that you have failed in the area of submission and help it to grow you into more submission. And just because you haven't quite got there doesn't mean that God cannot use you. He will use you. He'll use you in every, any way that he can. And the only one who is whispering in your ear, God cannot use you because of the only one is your enemy. God doesn't do that. He's ready to use you. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we stand here before you. We're all in various levels of our places of what we've learned in the area of submission. And we're learning more. But I thank you, Father, that right where we are right now, you can use us, and you do use us. I thank you, Father, that we are useful to you and that you can bring us into situations and we can make a difference because of what we know because of what we're walking in. We give you the praise and the glory for it, Father. We thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, we have a couple of uh, praise reports. I don't see my person who reads our praise reports. My wife left to go next door, I guess. All right. Oh, we had some other. All right, Ethel put one in. It said, did I have the word and spirit of the Lord versus... Um, didn't bring my, my reading glasses over. Come on, Joe. Let me get you a microphone. Okay, so this is Miss Ethel. Um, she says that I have the word and spirit of the Lord uh, versus the doctor's reports. Um, wow. <laughs> is that the same one I was? You had a doctor's report. Oh, you got a doctor's report. I didn't get that part. <laughs> you did better than me then. Near my. Over my. Okay, there we go. Okay. Doctor's reports teamwork. over my. <laughs> Situation and circumstances. Um, it's that curse of writing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, this is Candy. She says, Noreen's uh, surgery went okay. She did have a uh, 
you know, a, a few complications. One of them were they um, her vein blew out. Okay, in one arm, but her surgery uh, was okay. So her surgery was supposed was supposed to be three hours, but it went for six. But um, praise to be to God because she came out all right. She thanks all of us for her prayers. Sorry for. Okay, <laughs> this is from Jennifer. She says that the daycare job didn't work out for me, but I didn't give up. I found a billing position and start tomorrow, and that has been my heart's desire to do billing. A what position? Uh, billing. Uh, oh, billing. Yep. This is from Nick. Uh, I want to praise God because my praise report from last week manifested this week, but I have um, Monday uh, praise for His Word, so he did it last Monday. Uh, the word threw a curve. The world threw a curveball at me this week, but His word never changes. I stood on His promises. If we are a tree trying to grow in our Christian walk, we first need solid ground to grow. The word gives us the foundation to never waver when a storm is in the forecast. And then Naz says, after being prayed for this morning, right there and then, I felt light in my body and spirit. I was lifted and blessed. Amen. This is from Susan. So. Uh, Thursday, November 12th, um, 12 through 7 p.m. at the Horsham Library. She has a p- her book signing. So it's Thursday, November 12th, 7 p.m., up and through then. Autographed books will be available for $10, one night only. Cash and check is accepted, and it's the Horsham Library. 